Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. For our study time today, we're going to be in the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is not a super popular book in the Bible. It's, a very, it's a, not even easy to find. It's about a fourth of the way through the Old Testament, and it's only four chapters, so it'll just be a few, cha- few pages in a paper Bible, or you can use your device if you want to look that up, or the uh, scripture will be up on the screen as well. Uh, I'll begin with a story. It was the summer before my freshman year in high school, so that was, you know, like back in 1844 or something like that, uh, and I went to a Christian church camp. Uh, I thought I was a Christian at the time, but I really wasn't. Um, I uh, went to this camp, and it was probably later in the week, Thursday or Friday, and over the week, I had developed a romantic interest, Ooh. and so I had plans that evening to hang out with one of the girls at the camp uh, after the evening program, and so generally, let's just be real, the conversation with my super mature freshman friends, the, the, the advice they were promoting for me probably was something like, oh, dude, you can totally make out with her tonight, or something like that. Isn't this uncomfortable to talk about in church? Anyway, some of you are like, yeah, that's still what my friends would say. Anyway, so that was the general voice of wisdom uh, around, and, uh, but I don't know what was going on in my heart. I thought, you know what, before I move into this evening and, and uh, hang out with this girl, I should talk to my camp counselors and get some advice. And so uh, here's, I gathered the two guy camp sponsors that were responsible for our cabin, and I invited them out to this little step. I could show you where it is uh, in North Webster, Indiana. And I said, come here, I want to talk to you guys. And I began to to describe to them, like after the program tonight, I was going to hang out with a girl and here's what I said. This, is, I, this might be word for word. I said, I think maybe she would let me do some stuff. I'm a freshman, right? I think maybe she'd let me do some stuff. And then my next thing I said to them was this. But I want to know what God would have me do. Because I wasn't opposed to God. I just didn't understand a lot of stuff. And then I don't think I'll forget quickly their response because it was probably a little surprising to me that these two adult men, probably in their mid to late 30s, they looked at each other and they had this, you know, camaraderie grin, and then they looked at me, and here was their advice. That's what they said. Some of you are surprised. They're like, what kind of a whacked out church camp were you going to? It's true. Just so you know, the church I grew up in maybe wasn't all that healthy. But that's what they said. And they were, gosh, it still burned into my brain. They were like right here, and they said, go for it. And I remember going, go. Even in my super spiritual immaturity, I remember thinking, I don't think that's what Jesus would tell me right now if he were on the step. Uh, So one of my thoughts was, I just don't think that that's what Jesus would say. And then the other thing that I bring into the room now is I think that's an example of the reality that we live in a world that at times gives us terrible, stupid, 
painful romantic advice. Amen? Anybody ever gotten some really dumb encouragement or direction? Most of us, maybe not most of us, a bunch of us probably have scars in our hearts, emotionally, other results in our life for things we did that were really dumb, bad, godless. Any, I won't make you stand up, but right? Stuff and the results of that. Well, just so you know, the Bible gives us and speaks wisdom into the romantic side of life. Here's just a few scriptures that have some nuggets, if we'll pay attention. Proverbs 31.30, charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. 1 Timothy 5.1, Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. That's good godly advice. There are some scriptures that speak specifically to men. Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. That's good counsel. The next text specifically to the ladies. The wife must respect her husband. Your marriage will go better if you apply that. Uh, another one I think to the men. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Talking about the, 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 the servant attitude of a great Husband. The next verse I think could apply to both men and women. There's a takeaway for either one of us. A quarrelsome wife is like the constant dripping of a leaky roof. You can apply that however you want. So hold those thoughts. We're in this series called Friendology, doing relationships God's way. And I thought we would give a weekend to trying to get some wisdom regarding the romantic side of life. So there are probably three groups of people right now listening. Some of us are married. We're in the marriage covenant. This should apply. It'll help us have a good marriage covenant. Others, you might be in a dating relationship or dating is in your future, you hope, all that kind of stuff. These are nuggets that will help you maybe make good choices and end up being successful at dating. There's another group of you that might be thinking, I ain't never dating again. But here's what I would say. Don't disengage because we live in a world where likely you'll have influence or you'll have friends who will end up in romantic relationships and you could be the person who gives them better advice than go for it. Probably we should give them something better than that. So we're going to learn from this book called Ruth. Um, there are two remarkable people in the book of Ruth. Uh, they end up in love. They're so remarkable. The story in these four chapters is so remarkable that I think that's why God puts the story in the Bible. 
Let me do quite a bit of summary so we understand our text. We're going to be in chapter 2, verse 5, but before that, here's what's going on. So the book of Ruth is a short story about a small group of people. Primary characters are Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. The story starts with three women, and all of them, very quickly, there's a a mom and two daughters-in-law, and they all become widows basically at the same time. And so Naomi, who's the mom, she decides she's going to move back to her home territory, her home city, her home country. And Ruth is uniquely loyal. She doesn't have to do this, but she decides, I'm going to move back along with my mother-in-law. I'm going to move with her to this, her hometown, which is away from Ruth's home territory. Um, a couple other things you need to know. Uh, for the most part, if you're a widow in this time in history, that means you're poor. Okay? Uh, so in this specific moment, Ruth and Naomi, and Naomi, they've moved back to their hometown. And Ruth is going out to uh, try to gather food from a farm field. Here's how the social program worked back then. If you owned the field, you would not harvest it perfectly, and you would leave some of the field uh, with some grain so that the poor could come and get some food for themselves, right? That's the way, that was, that was Medicaid or whatever, that, that's the way it worked. So Ruth is with the other poor folks walking in the field after the harvesters have harvested the primary crop. And the owner of the field, Boaz, is watching some of the poor out in his field, and he notices Ruth. Boy, that was the longest introduction ever! Verse 5. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, Who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. Later in verse 7, it says, she came into the field and has remained there from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field, and don't go away from here. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she, that's Ruth, bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner. Boaz replied, I have been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. Just a couple more verses. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And then Ruth responds, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. 
you have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant. To finish the story, they fall in love and make babies. They have a family. The title of the talk is When Romance is in the Picture. And the idea for the rest of the talk is both Boaz and Ruth have great characteristics when it comes to if you want to be a person that romance will go well, here's a couple great things to have in your life. So we're going to do this a little differently. I'm going to take the first point. I'm going to speak directly to the men and, and challenge us to be more like Boaz. And then a few minutes, Carol Ann Master, one of the staff at the church, she's going to speak directly to the women. All right, so let me pray. I'll give you some stuff. Father, I pray that you would open up our minds to be reminded of good direction in romance, or for some of us, get new direction, that it might go well with us and we might honor you well with the romantic side of life. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to the guys. Here's the, here's the one point for the guys. When it comes to romance, men, be a safe place or a safe guy. Create safe space for the ladies in your life. In verse 8, when Boaz says to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. He says, I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And he even goes on to say, if you're thirsty, get a drink from the jars over here. Now, I would submit to you, he is doing something wonderful for her, creating a place of safety. If we dive a little deeper into her circumstance, it might be feel even more safe. Just remember, she is young, younger, poor, a foreigner, alone, outside of town. There is no police presence, and I'm pretty sure there was no cell service. Some of them people are like, did they have cell phones back then? They did not have cell phones. And she's out in the middle of primarily a man's world, She's, and she's out in the country, and we all know how evil country boys are. Okay, so maybe not. But anyway, enough so. That, so here is reality. There are probably two primary thoughts in Ruth's mind on this afternoon. One, I hope I get enough food so I don't go hungry. And the second would probably be, I hope nothing bad happens to me. She would have been afraid. And so with that said, when Boaz comes and says, stay here, don't worry, I've told the guys not to mess with you, and if you're thirsty, go right over there and get, get a drink. My guess is for her, a guy could not do anything better than what he just did for her. You can write this in. When Ruth hears Boaz's words, she experiences, and I should have said, way less worry. Because he's a safe man. And he's extending his authority over, right? He's the owner of the field. When he says this, 
It happens. No, she is safe. And I want to just jump to the point to address the men with the women in our lives, ladies we encounter. We should be and offer a safe place. There should be less worry in their life because we are present. I would, I would argue that for many ladies, there's at least a few things that they worry about. Uh, like, I know for my wife, there are things that bring anxiety to her life at times. She's got to deal with the, the pressures of work. She, now this may not be true for all ladies, but she gets a little more uncomfortable if she has to take her vehicle into the shop because she doesn't want to be taken advantage of. Uh, I know that regularly you can see over social media, like so-and-so's husband, right, just did a dork thing and mean thing and left her. So now one of her friends who was married is no longer married because her husband, right? All this stuff is happening. So for a lot of ladies, there are certain anxieties and things to worry about. And the point is for us, be men who don't increase the anxiety in ladies' lives and be helpful to protect them. And I, I, before, before this service, I felt a nudge, and I'm going to take a minute to say something. Uh, if you're a guy who's taken advantage of women, you should be scared to death in the hands of God. I'm just saying, by the way, and I, so I'm saying the opportunity to you is, you should cry out to God and say, Lord, help me. You should run to Jesus. He can change us. But just to be real, God is a God who takes protection really seriously. And he also takes judgment really seriously. And you don't want to be on the wrong side of that. And so there's opportunity here. By the way, I probably say that with some passion because I was, I was one of those jerks up until I became a, a Christian. Okay, so there's hope for us. But take seriously how we treat people. I got to get back to my notes, but be a man, and when you show up, women should feel safe. You could argue this is one of the most godly opportunities we have, guys, because the, the Lord of the universe is a safe place. When Jesus shows up regularly, he would show up with either men or women. He would say, first thing coming out of his mouth would be, don't be afraid. That's what he would bring to the picture. In Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, he says, come to me. And ultimately, he says, you'll find rest for your souls. The next verse says, talks about the presence of God. It says, the Lord is near. Right after that is, so don't be anxious about anything. I also thought of it this way, just from a different angle. Some of the most tragic stories in the Bible could have been helped if the guy in the picture had been a better protector. Adam and Eve. If your wife's talking to a snake, you ought to kill the snake. How about that? <laughs> a few guys are like, no way, man, I'm afraid of snakes. Grow, grow up. Get some kind of a long object. Beat the snot out of the snake. Okay. Another, another one I thought of was there's a tragic story about a guy named David who was a king. He had all kinds of authority, and most of his life was amazing. The worst part of his life was connected to he's on the palace and he sees a woman bathing on the roof of her house 
and he takes advantage. He, he calls her, he sends somebody over, and then she comes over to the house, and, and they end up having an affair. And it just, it's just the messiest part of his whole life. And I had this new thought. Wouldn't it have been great if David, who was a godly man, wouldn't it have been great, instead of taking advantage of her, if he didn't like look over, because he had all the power in all the country, and he should have said, hey, Hey, hey uh, construction guys, maintenance guys, go over and build her an enclosure around her bathroom. Because if she keeps doing that, something bad might happen to her because other people get, you didn't like that idea? Wouldn't that be great if that was in the, wouldn't that have been better, a better story in the Bible if he had said, if he'd have resisted his temptation and instead say, we're going to give you a shower curtain, lady. And that will be protection to you. Because you don't want this. I thought this was a brilliant insight. I just liked it. Okay. So let's bring this idea of being a protector, a safe place in the room. Here's the question for us, guys. When I enter a woman's world, does it become a safer place? And it should. Think of your wives. Just other, you know, ladies that are around. This just applies to so many Areas. Now, just a side guess as I finish up and pass it off to Carol Ann. This is my guess. When Boaz comes to Ruth and says, stay here. Uh, don't be afraid. I've talked to these guys. And if you need a drink, young lady, you just go right over there and get yourself some water. Here's my guess. When he turns to walk away, my guess is Ruth looks and says, I like that guy. She may have made a sound like, because there's something attractive about a guy who is a protector. So men, when it comes to romance, be a safe place. Carol Ann Masters is going to come up and speak to the ladies. Why don't you welcome Carol Ann? Thank you. Thank you. So like Pastor Mark said, my name's Carol Ann. So glad to be with you guys today. I'm going to just jump right back in with point number two. You can fill us in on your handout is when it comes to romance, women have an honorable reputation. An honorable reputation. So speaking to ladies, but hopefully there's something in here for all of you. I'm going to spend a few minutes talking about this idea of having an honorable reputation why I think it was important for Ruth's story and important for us today. So let's remember where we're at in the text. Word had kind of gotten around about Ruth. People were talking about her. And in verse 5, it said that Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? It's like Boaz noticed Ruth. I imagine he noticed her because he kind of heard, like, some of the hard work. Like, you, we talked about the fields like, that's, a hard, that's hard work. Like, I get tired just thinking about that. Like, she was out working all day, and she only took a short break. Like, that kind of person sticks out. So Boaz noticed Ruth. He ends up talking to her down in verse 11. It says, Boaz replied, I've been told. He says, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. So he's talking about her reputation. He's saying he's been told about her. And then in verse 12, this is kind of where he brings honor to her. 
He says, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord. So there's something about having a good reputation that's important. Silly illustration, but it made me think of when new movies come out. Are there any big movie fans in the room? Anyone else? Like, I love going to the movies, and I'm usually pretty up-to-date on what's coming out, but I will almost always check the reviews first before I go see something. Why do I do that? Because the reputation of the movie matters. Like, what other people are saying about it is going to influence whether I go and spend time on it and spend, like, $500 on a couple movie tickets and some popcorn. Like, it's so expensive. But if I'm going to spend time and money on something, I will almost always check the reviews first, or I'll pay attention to what other people are saying. And I do that because I think that reputation matters. I think we live... Uh, I was thinking about this earlier. I think we live in a time when people, like, it's very me-focused. Like, our world, world will tell you, oh, don't listen to what anyone else says. Do what makes you happy. Do what you want. Like, don't care what people say about you. And while maybe there's some truth in, like, we don't have to be held to what other people have said about us, like, in the past, but the Bible sure talks a lot about making a good name for ourselves. Like, I think God cares about the reputation we're building. There's a couple verses that talk about this. In Ecclesiastes 7.1, it says, A good name is better than fine perfume. And Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. So there's something important about having a good name for ourselves. And I don't just mean like, oh, Carol Ann, like that's a good name. Like, you should name your future daughters Carol Ann, because that's a great name. But like, the word in Hebrew is talking about reputation. And Ruth had a great reputation, despite where she came from. And if we dug a little bit deeper into Ruth's story, we'd see that where she came from was kind of weird. Like, her family background, there is some messiness in there. The Moabites, so Ruth was from Moab, she was a Moabite, like, they generally weren't very liked amongst other people groups. And part of that is because of some of Ruth's family history. So long story short, this is really weird, guys. Long story short, Ruth's great, 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 great grandmother got her father drunk intentionally and slept with him so that she could get pregnant. Like, that's kind of weird. Maybe that's normal in your family history, that's not normal in mine. Like, that's kind of weird. That's a little messy. And people were still talking about it. Like, people knew the Moabite history. They knew that the Moabs, like the Moabites, they also practiced uh, human sacrificing. They worshipped false gods and idols. Like, they were just generally not great people. So that's why it's significant that Boaz noticed Ruth. He knew where she came from, but her reputation and her character was honorable enough for him to look past any of the messiness that came with pursuing a Moabite. Later on in chapter 3, it actually says that the whole town knew of Ruth's noble character. Like, everybody knew it. In a time when normally a Moabite would come on the scene and you'd be like, oh, they're from Moab. Like, why are they here? They're from Moab. It's the opposite. Because of, because of Ruth's honorable character, 
Like, people knew who she was, and they knew of her reputation in a good way. So you can fill this in on your handout. Is a good name can overshadow the messiest past. So let's bring this into the room. Ladies, or all of you, you may have have like some messiness in your background. You may be the most like relationally messy person that you know. Or maybe there are people that are still like talking about some of your past history. My encouragement to you today is that it's not too late to make a good name for yourself. It's not too late. As I was praying about this message, I felt like there were people who just kind of felt stuck. I know I've felt stuck before, like in the, the mess of a big mistake or the mess of a failed, like messy relationship, or even stuck in what other people have said about me. And my, my encouragement to you is that it's still not too late. Like, don't pay attention to what other people, like the bad things that people are trying to bring up in you. Remember what God would say about you. And the word says that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Like, we've already spent some time through communion remembering what Jesus did. Like, he died on a cross to help erase the mess of our past. So with his help, like, we can do that. There's power in what we're doing now with God's help to erase the mess of our pasts. We just have to be willing to put some effort in. Like, I, I'm currently in a dating relationship, so these are things that I'm, like, actively thinking about, is uh, what kind of effort do I need to put in to, with God's help, erase the mess of my past, but also uh, work on my good name. It made me think of this silly trend that's going around. Some of you may have heard of it. You'll be talking with someone, and you'll say something like, oh, that girl, yeah, that girl, like, she's a 10. Like, she's really great. She's perfect. She's way up here. She's a 10. But, and then there's usually some flaw that, like, brings their rating down. So, like, she's a 10, but she's already listening to Christmas music, and we're not even past Thanksgiving. So she's really, like, a 5, <laughs> Or for some of you, she's like higher. You're like, oh man, she's already, yeah, she's like a 12. She's great. But it's this idea of they're really great, but there's this one thing. A more serious one would be something like, oh yeah, that girl, she's a 10, but she doesn't really make church a priority. Like, that's kind of a big deal. Church should be a priority. And I was thinking about this in my life. Like, if somebody looked at me, what would they say? Like, oh yeah, Carol Ann, she's a 10, but she can seem kind of intimidating to approach. And like, I've actually been told that before, and I recognize in myself, I don't always appear to be the most approachable person. So I, like, I don't want that in my reputation, and so I'm actively working on that. On the other side of this, I recognize there are things I do pretty well. Like, I, I know that I'm a, a pretty good listener. Like, I get told that sometimes. It's like I'm gonna keep trying to do that well. So I want that in my reputation. So some questions for you to consider. First one is this. What is one thing I'm doing well? And I want you to actually think about it. Like, what is something you do well when it comes to relationships, when it comes to friendships, for all of you? Whatever it is, keep doing it, because people need that. The other question is, what is one thing I need to work on? 
You don't have to make a whole list, but pick something and be faithful in working on that because God can do a lot with our effort when we work on the, even the small things we need to for our reputation. And if you're not sure how to answer those questions, you can ask a friend that you trust to give their input. To wrap up, I am challenged by the way that Ruth worked hard for herself and for the people around her. And it got me thinking of this question, like, what if we put that kind of effort and energy towards making sure we are people who have good names, people who are worth pursuing in a romantic relationship or in a friendship or whatever? Like, what if we put that effort in? If we kept reading in the story of Ruth, we'd see, like, they go on to get married, they have a son. They're actually mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. This is crazy, guys. They are mentioned by name. Like, God found them honorable and worthy enough to be mentioned by name in the genealogy of the Messiah. That's a pretty good reputation. Like, I want that kind of reputation. God honored them with that. So last fill in the blank, and I'll invite Pastor Mark up, is that God honors our continued effort. I think that if we're, like, whether you are single, married, engaged, divorced, whatever it is, like, we, still, we all still have an opportunity to put some effort in and trust that God will honor it when it comes to relationships. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.